as soon as we were realizing the extent of what COVID-19 um, was going to to have for our customers and our employees with these shutdowns and everything, we made immediate actions to support our customers, right? We said, we are not going to disconnect any customer, regardless if they pay or not. We've had to adopt um, a lot more check-ins with um, teammates, whether it's, you know, um, I have staff check-ins with my directs way more often than we would have done uh, as we were working in the office. Um, more individual check-ins, so, you know, maybe 10-minute uh, calls with employees uh, just to say, hey, how you doing? I've done a, a ton of videos. That has really built a connection with uh, our teammates that I don't think we had before. So ironically, I think the pandemic might have brought us closer together, even though we're distanced uh, from each other. So I just recording a few reflections on the conversation you're about to hear with Brian Savoy, who is the senior vice president in charge of transformation and IT at Duke Energy, which is a large energy provider in the U.S., and, and it, this really came out of hearing about the CEO, who's a remarkable uh, woman at, uh, at Duke Energy, and her story around COVID-19, how the organization had managed through this period of crisis. Brian, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. He, he's got a background, as you'll hear, in accountancy and, and has found himself involved in IT transformation. And I think it's probably fair to say that Brian is a calm voice in stormy times. And I think you can tell in the way that he thinks through things and the way he approaches things that he's got a lot of courage in what they're doing. Um, he talks about the way that the COVID-19 crisis has changed, not just Duke Energy, but also changed him kind of personally in it and and we've all been changed through it and what I wanted to do is try and capture a story from an organization that's not in the tech space they're in the energy field and their own real-time experience of working through this where you don't know what's coming next it kind of came to me you know there's that line in Hamilton um, you want to be in the room where it happens well I think Brian has been in the room where it happens I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Savoy. Brian is a Senior Vice President, Chief Transformation and Administrative Officer at the Duke Energy Corporation. Um, he leads the company's business transformation through digital innovation, new ways of working, process design, and he also has responsibility for the information and technology uh, supply chain side of the organisation. Uh, previously, he was Chief Accounting Officer and Controller for Duke Energy, uh, responsible for the accounting, financial reporting, and so on. He led their derivative accounting and trading control functions for energy trading and marketing activities. And prior to joining Duke, Brian was manager with the international accounting firm uh, Deloitte, uh, where he oversaw audit engagements for a large energy clients. Uh, he currently serves on the Board of Advisors for the Belk College of Business at UNC Charlotte and the McCall School of Business at Queen's University, and he lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think, Brian, you're the first professional accountant that we've had on the podcast. <laughs> yes, I've had a wide range in my career. Yeah, and, and how did you move from 
the field of, of accounting into um, chief transformation uh, officer and, and related areas in that? Yeah, no, great question. Yeah, I spent about 10 years of my career on an, on the trading floor, energy trading. And uh, my job was, you know, really setting trading limits and controls. And, and if you can picture a trading floor, things move really fast, right? Uh, we make decisions, go long here, go short there. Uh, it's, it's by the hour. And as, uh, and this was with Duke Energy, but it was a different part of Duke, right? And uh, energy trading was really robust uh, when I was uh, in the heart of it. Enron was a big player at that time. Um, and it changed a lot over the years. Uh, but that move fast, uh, make decisions, pivot quickly, those um, behaviors really stuck. And, and that prepared me for the role I'm in today, which is transforming this massive company into uh, the new world of energy that we find ourselves in. Mm. So just for people who aren't familiar with Duke, because we have people listening in lots of different countries around the world, could you just explain what Duke Energy does? Certainly. Uh, Duke Energy is one of the largest um, electric and, and natural gas utilities in the United States. We serve about 25 million people with their energy needs uh, in the southeast and the midwestern uh, part of the U.S. We also have renewables that extend across um, all all the uh, uh, contiguous United States uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. We operate nuclear, renewables, um, natural gas generation. Um, we have about 300,000 miles of transmission and distribution lines that deliver energy to our customers. Uh, and, uh, you know, the industry that we're in uh, has went through change throughout its history. We've been in business over a hundred years and we've seen innovation uh, through breakthrough technologies when nuclear was born in the, in the, you know, sixties and seventies to, um, you know, battery technology today. And what we are seeing is that um, the pace of change in our industry is uh, faster than it's ever been. And the pace we're seeing today is the slowest pace we'll ever see looking forward. Right. So we have to adapt and keep up and uh that is really what i'm charged with okay so let's let's get into the topic which i'm really excited to talk about and fascinated to talk about so let's just sort of roll back the clock a little bit this year so it's february 2020 duke energy is doing what you do if you like kind of business as usual um when did covid19 become a thing on your on your radar yes paul um it definitely was not in our business plan if you can imagine that right um we were having a very mild winter which our business is uh, cyclical based on uh, the weather patterns because energy usage does vary with uh, weather. So we watch weather extremely closely. So we were having a mild winter and we were in implementing um, some mitigation plans to deal with some uh, light revenues we've experienced in, in the first two months. But towards the end of February, um, you know, COVID became a topic, right? And by mid-March, we had totally um, uh, made decisions to work remotely for about half of our workforce. And the other half um, are at their work locations uh, generating electricity, delivering natural gas and delivering electricity uh, to our customers. So I would say, you know, end of February, we started talking mid-March, we implemented um, a fully uh, executed plan. 
Mm. And did you have any kind of um, roadmap in terms of crisis management to follow? Because I remember having a, a conversation with a large financial services company, and they said they, you know, they obviously had lots of different crisis plans in place, but they all assumed that all their, in that case, all their physical locations, some of their physical, or at least some of the physical locations still be open. What they hadn't kind of thought about was what what happens if in none of our physical locations i mean how how useful for the were the crisis plans that you as a company had in place you know we found ourselves very much like uh that other company you reference uh we we had disaster recovery plans where we would uh relocate employees to backup facilities uh, uh really hadn't contemplated a pandemic where we would be working uh, from our home locations uh, for everyone. Uh, so that this was uh, really uh, testing our resiliency and our adaptability. Um, but I am super proud of the team. I mean, we, we hardened our IT uh, capacity, bef- you know, towards the end of February, early March, we placed a lot of hardware and software on order and got it in uh, before the crunch really happened across the nation. Um, and that allowed us to scale to support uh, roughly 20,000 people working remotely um, by, the, by March 20th. And, and, and so you were, how did you decide who would still um, go into physical um, locations? Because I would imagine that there are places in, in Duke where you, you need to have, it's an, it's an essential service. Um, the you know there are key workers. Uh, was it the was it the entire workforce that was going remote, or or some percentage of it? We actually had a pretty uh, intense debate about this at the, the CEO staff uh, level because uh, we safety is the core value of Duke Energy, and we wanted our employees safe. And where we landed after much uh, heated debate was. If your job can be done remotely, you will work remotely. If it cannot, you will show you will uh, report to your work location. So, if you think about our our business, it's about half craft workers and about half um, office white collar jobs. So, pretty much every white collar job was determined uh, remote uh, working. What What did it feel like to be having those? conversations at that time because i know my own experience of trying to um kind of you know everybody was trying to adjust to what was happening what and and then you're trying to think about a your own um staff you're also trying you're thinking about your customers and the importance and the role that you're going to play what what did that feel like well paul um none of us had the playbook in front of us right so it was we're, we're, we're making decisions that we're um, unsure of the outcomes, but we're, we're taking the data we know and applying the business knowledge we have. And we all thought it was going to be, what, two to three weeks? So I would say, you know, when we were making this decision, it was very temporary uh, in nature what we were thinking. Um, looking back, it's been many months and uh, no, no end in sight as we look forward. So, um, you know, I think because we thought it was going to be two or three weeks working remotely. Um, we knew it was a big decision, but we didn't realize it was as big a decision as it was at the time. Now that we've been remote for, for many, many months. Uh, 
I mean, did that help, do you think, the fact that it, it, it felt at the time like maybe this is for a certain period of time rather than we're moving into a new kind of alternate reality? I believe it did, um, but I have responsibility for IT and making sure it all works. So I was feeling uh, intense tr- pressure personally <laughs> to make sure that uh, our employees could actually keep their work going um, while being remote. Okay, okay. Um, and were you surprised at um, how quickly decisions were able to take place? Because one of the things I've heard from a number of organizations is, I mean, there are lots of things that have been surprising, but, but the, the, the decisions that normally would take a certain amount of time seem to happen quicker. Lightning fast. Uh, here, one one example just comes to mind is is um, our customer call centers. So we have you know call agents that uh, manage customer calls. They range from you know outages where customers are reporting their outages to to bill concerns, um, payment arrangements, and and starting service and stopping service. We do a lot of this digitally, uh, but a lot of our we we serve every demographic of customers. So some call, and we have. Um, several thousand call agents and moving them remote would have been probably a one to one and a half year project. And we did it in four days, you know, so we took, we took that kind of, and that's digital transformation in action, right? Moving, moving something that would have been paced at a very comfortable rate, right. And uh, testing and, and checking and testing and checking versus we're doing everybody in four days. Come get your package, take it home, plug it in. Here's a phone number to, to call if you have problems. Wow. I mean, how did you know how to, or, you know, you, you mentioned about sourcing hardware and software. How did you know what to get hold of? Well, we already had the um, software installed. We, we were concerned about the number of uh, users on it. So, um, well, fortunately, we had made really good investments in collaboration tools and in remote working tools. And we, we had pockets of employees working that way. And to scale it, we wanted to have a robustness uh, that, um, you know, we, we can have X number of nines of reliability uh, and, and, and make it work. So we talked to our um, partners uh, that provide the hardware and the software talked about how many people we might have working and that, that informed us on, on how much to acquire. Mm. And what collaboration tools and remote tools were you already work were already using and, and any new ones that you've started using? You know, uh, we have the standard office 365 suite and, and it has been a, a tremendous asset during, during the pandemic before the pandemic, it, we were using it well but not all the all the, the features of it. Uh, we really started leveraging uh, video conferencing in a massive way, which we were concerned about bandwidth. Frankly, you know, can our systems sustain the bandwidth if if you have thirty thousand employees on video conferencing? And and so that was part of the um, uh, hardening of the systems we we did going into the the remote working. Um, we've we've incorporated design thinking into many of our innovation. Uh, work and much of our innovation work. So there's some design thinking tools uh, that can 
almost replicate what you would experience in a conference room with sticky notes and ideation. Um, Miro is one that we've used. Um, and, you know, it's, it's good. Can't quite replicate the in-person experience, you know? So, um, you know, as I'm looking at those tools and the adaptability of the team, it's been tremendous, but I still feel like innovation is best when people are together. Mm. And are you still working yourself from from home? Yes, I am. Mm. So, so how have you found that? Um, and I, and not so much the well, not so much the experience of working from home, but just trying to ma- It's one thing trying to manage through a a crisis, you know, in in a sort of normal situation, but then you're you're removed. You're at home. Everybody's at home, and you're also trying to manage through this. How how have you found that? You know, Paul, we've had to adopt um, a lot more check ins with um, teammates, whether it's you know. Um, I have staff check-ins with my directs way more often than we would have done uh, as we were working in the office, Um, more individual check-ins. So, you know, maybe 10 minute uh, calls with employees uh, just to say, Hey, how you doing? I've done a a ton of videos and um, you know, it's kind of ironic before the pandemic um, we would have someone with a camera come in my office and we might do a video every now and then. Now it's, me and my iPhone print, doing a video pretty much weekly. And that has really built a connection with uh, our teammates that I don't think we had before. So ironically, I think the pandemic might have brought us closer together, even though we're distanced uh, from each other. Why is that? Because crisis brings people together or you've used the technology better? Um, what's, well, what's you know, reason? I think it, the technology has really um, played a huge part because um, we have many office locations and those that aren't in our headquarters where, where kind of a lot of the action happens might feel left out. But when everybody's looking at a video, you kind of equalize the playing field. And so everyone feels that same connection versus, um, you know, I've got to wait for this executive to come visit us, which happens twice a year, right? And and so I, I think the technology really has um, played a huge part, and it will have a continued part in how I lead going forward. Mm. Yeah, and that's the, uh, what what are what are your videos about? What do you what do you cover, and what duration are they? You know, they range from three to five minutes, so I, I do like them short. Um, a hot topic has been when are we going to return to work, right? And how are we going to return to work? So that's a common theme in the videos. Um, but business issues too, because our business continues to move forward, right? We have a lot of uh, strategic um, investments continu- continuing. As you mentioned, we're an essential service. So uh, building infrastructure is a big, uh, a huge part of our business. And, and we continue to advance uh installing solar, uh, installing batteries and installing, uh, wires to deliver this energy. So uh, I like to give business updates just to keep people focused on not in the midst of today and especially live in the 24 hour, uh, news cycle, but think about, look, we're a business and we've got strategic goals and we are still driving those goals. Mm. So, yeah. And it strikes me that sort of almost kind of reassures people, you know, we're not just in crisis mode. We're also planning forward 
moving forward as a as an organization i mean what 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 would you say are the most surprising stories um in, in the way that that duke energy has responded to the covid nineteen crisis you know coming out of of uh, as soon as we were realizing the extent of what covid nineteen um was going to to have for our customers and our employees with these shutdowns and everything. We made immediate actions to support our customers, right? We said, we are not going to disconnect any customer regardless if they pay or not. And um, we're going to suspend any late fees. We did this right out of the gate. Um, and late uh, a few weeks later, many of our states that we operate in had uh, orders that that ordered utilities not to do this, but we did it before this. And I think that was um, uh, a really important step for us to show that we are we understand where our customers are going through. Many people are losing their jobs, and everyone needs energy because they're at home. They're at home cooking. They're at home doing remote learning with their children. And this is one less uh, headache that they needed to deal with was thinking about their power bill and making sure that their lights stayed on. So I believe that was a huge step. Um and that we took really early on. We've continued to monitor customer um, sentiment over these months, and it really elevated the customers' views of Duke Energy, which which made me proud because we are a customer focused company. We we design for the customer, we support the customer. We and and seeing the customers recognize that look, um, we care about you, and we. Um, are going to accommodate what you need right now. Was that a, was that a decision that the the senior team came to quite easily, naturally, or was it a, a sort of heated debate? No, it was. We we had alignment very quickly, um, but we also knew this was an unprecedented decision. Right, we had never done this before because we have a lot of regulation that that governs our business, and you know we have strict rules that. I can't um, subsidize one customer with another customer. So all that went into uh, the discussion. But we said, look, if, if we um, if we have to eat these costs, we have to eat these costs. That's that's the way it's going to be. And and uh, let's let's make the right decision for the customer. Mm. I mean, and it's uh, it's interesting because you were doing that. I'd, I'd imagine. Uh, not knowing what other organizations' policies were going to be. What I would say is that we now know that a lot of large organizations took kind of similar-ish uh, sort of decisions, um, essentially turned up their sort of social community um, uh, kind of service muscles and said, look, you know, we're here for our customers um that's I, I i mean i've never known a period i mean we've never been through anything like this but i've never known a period where if you like the the corporate world has done has acted like that um why, why do you think that has been well i recognized it as well paul i mean every commercial you saw during uh, april when we were all at home um had that that uh, theme around it, you know, what we can do for our customers. We know what you're going through. You know, I, I, I feel like um, one companies understand customers make them right. Customers are everything without customers. We're not a company. So, um, and as we've seen something so widespread that affected 
every customer we serve, um, and, and I believe other companies were thinking this way, we, we need to make sure our customers trust us and they uh, understand that we we know what they're going through. And, and so I believe that pushed um, most companies in that direction, and it's the right direction. I feel very proud mm. of what we've done. And has it changed the culture of, of Duke? You know, about about five years ago, we we began a journey to really um, reimagine the customer experience, and we've made steady progress. Uh, so I believe our customer centricity has increased over the, the that five year period, and this these actions during COVID probably took it to another level. Uh, I agree uh, about that. Uh, changing our, our mindset towards customer, but we were, we were really uh, embracing the evolving customer expectations, you know, understanding that customers um, are um, more and more expecting what they receive in their um, re in the retail world from their utility and, and from any other company they deal with. Uh, I use the Zappos example a lot. I think Zappos really nails the customer experience and I don't feel our customers expect us to be Zappos, but they expect every experience they have to be trending towards that Zappos experience. And so um, my job is to make sure that as they have outages, as we have start service, transfer, stop service, bill payment, all those journeys that customers have with us are delight delightful and they're frictionless. And so um, that has been our journey. And then, Tap, tapping onto that, uh, our response to COVID, I think, really um, exemplifies how we view the customer. Mm. And, and are there things you, kind of looking back, wish you had had in place when the when the crisis hit? Um, because, you know, it, as we've said, it, it was unprecedented. Uh, are there things that you've learned and you think, mm, it would have been great if this capacity, this service had been available earlier on <laughs> there's a lot of things <laughs> yes um i mean I, I believe nothing replaces experience um right and we've we've learned so much um but when we when we prepare for storms right we we live on uh where we, we serve customers down the eastern seaboard of the united states so there's a lot of hurricanes right we don't just have plans for hurricanes we do drills and okay, let's say we have these 2 million customers out. How will we respond? And we run uh, testing of our system. So can we text customers at 2 million you know, capacity? Can we um, restore power with our physical crews that, in, that, in that way and how long it might take? And so those crises that we plan for and drill for, I wish we would have had a pandemic plan in place where we had drilled. Right. We had one on paper, but paper is only as good as it's written. Right. You have to actually experience it, do tabletops and do uh, real exercises. And and looking forward, I definitely uh, expect us to be drilling this type of crisis uh, event uh, in our. And if you had if you had drilled it, what do you think you would have put in place um, that wasn't there? I believe we would have invested. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, Paul. I believe we would have invested in the capacity for the IT systems uh, before um, 
you know, a week before we needed it, which was, which is kind of scary, right? You're putting it in, you're hoping it all works and you don't have a lot of time to, to pressure test it. We tested it with friends and family, the IT team on the Friday before we went remote on the Monday, but that, that was kind of the speed. So I think we would have had that in place. Um, our safety protocols with, uh, with um, you know, sanitizer, um, cleaning supplies, we would have probably done um, uh, a bit more planning and had more on hand that we had to do some uh, uh, a bit of scrambling to get all the PPE we needed to operate effectively uh, in the early days of, of the pandemic. Uh, so we would have done a bit more of that. Mm. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'm I'm impressed that you even had uh, an on paper uh, pandemic plan. Um, I guess you know it's. I don't know how common that was. Um, I've discovered that the only people who seem to have global pandemic insurance were Wimbledon tennis court. <laughs> um, and when and when and when the pandemic hit, they got a huge payout, even though the tournament wasn't taking place. Um, but um, um, so it's, I mean, it's it's great that you've done that. I mean, what's uh, I know that your CEO has done a uh, a really powerful job during this period. What how, how what would you say about the way that your CEO has led the organization during this time? Um, you know, I've worked with Lynn. And obviously, you're going to be complimentary yeah. because it's your CEO. Absolutely. And I've worked with Lynn for 15 years. So I know her really well. Um, she has uh, a passion for business. She's analytical. And she has uh, just a deep desire to um, help our employees succeed. And And during this time, it was very uncomfortable for all of us, right? We were trying to make decisions and, and learn about areas we, we didn't know. I mean, we were leaning on medical professionals and uh, CDC and the guidance was very fluid. Um, you know, understanding of how the virus tran- uh, transfers uh, from either hard surfaces or not, or, you know, droplets or not, you know, just trying to figure all this out was tough. Um, but you didn't see that in her messages. You, you saw a calm, calm leader that was saying, look, we don't know what we don't know, but we're going to keep moving this, this forward. And we know we need to serve our customers and we know we need to um, have reliable power because they're relying on us more than ever right now. You know, and, and she was trying to balance, if you think about it, half of a workforce that is working as normal, except they're using a lot more safety protocols like masks and distancing and washing. And then half of the workforce working remotely. And so we were really trying to balance the message that don't make blanket statements that everyone's working remotely because there's a lot of people, 20,000 people that are still generating power and delivering it and working in the field. And so that was a, another dimension, I believe, to the messages that, that we were very careful on crafting uh, with, with Lynn. And, and I've, I've got about half of my team that works uh, at, at the job site and about half working remotely. So I'm very sensitive to that as well. Um, but she's had great resolve. We've dealt with a, a, a lot of issues business-wise that we would have had regardless during um, during 2020, uh, much less during a pandemic. And we've continued to work through those. We've had uh, board meetings that have been remote and uh, those have been interesting because those would always have always been in person uh, leading up to now. Uh, but we, we've held those well and, and um, 
you know, I think she's, she's led with, uh, just excellence all the way and 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 what changes that you've through this experience uh in the in the kind of digital ways of working do you want to keep because you've talked about the acceleration things happening in four days that would have taken years um which are the which are the changes make kind of key changes in the digital ways of working do you want do you want to sort of retain going forward if you just dial back six months ago, Duke Energy was very much an in-person company, right? Things were done. And we had, um, if you look at my innovation center, it's, it's a, it's a digital factory, 400 people, you know, crammed into a, 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 a refurbished, uh, textile mill, uh, to, to just spurn out digital solutions for customers and for, uh, teammates. Uh, and, so densification was our strategy and bring people close together, collab- a lot of collaborative spaces. And, and um, what we've learned is that a lot of work can be done remotely. And, and I don't think that um, realization would have hit us absent a pandemic. And so how do we retain the flexibility and the lifestyle benefits of working remotely and the benefits of being together? So I believe uh, we're going to retain a lot of. Uh, we haven't decided fully how we're going to um, operate in the future, but I, 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 I see that some hybrid version of you know one to two days a week remote, the rest of the time at, at, at an office location where collaboration will be uh, the focal points of those days, um, and we will get more work done, and employees will be happier doing it with that kind of flexibility. So I, I believe that's one thing that's going to stick. And another thing is that um, using the the digital tools, uh, especially the video conferencing, I think that's one thing that has brought uh, people closer together. And even think about line crews. So crews that are out um, uh, in bucket trucks uh, working on power lines, they're using Teams video conferencing on their phone. And that allows them to connect to a supervisor real time and face to face, as face to face as it could be. Um, and that's going to stick and that's going to reduce the need for a lot of business travel between our work, between our locations. Um, and, um, you know, that's going to have some long lasting benefits, um, for, for our teammates. So, uh, those are just a couple. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, we're recording this in July, 2020. Where do you feel that you as an organization are now? Um, are you, you know, because you prepared for, you know, something that was going to start and we're obviously, we're now in, in something, we're still trying to work out where it's, where it's going and so on. How, how do you sort of regard this? Do you regard this as a kind of, you know, to quote the jargon, a new normal or what's, what's, what's the plan? How do you plan forward? Yes. Um, that's a tough one. Be honest, uh, you know, is every every uh, assumption we've had so far has been blown out of the water, and <laughs> we've had to change it. So, um, you know, I, I kind of see this, you know, e- even with um, the optimism on a vaccine, which we we've, we've read a lot about in recent days, um, it's going to take a long time for a vaccine to really penetrate the population to a level that we all feel safe. Um, so I think we have, you know, 12 months in front of us at least to, before things get back to whatever new normal is. Um, I, I feel like the new normal is different than what it was six months ago. And 
I believe we're going to be a better, stronger company on the other side of it. And I think we're better, stronger human beings as well. I, I believe that um, we've learned a lot. We've um, hopefully taken the time to reflect and and see how valuable life is and how fragile it might be too. And uh, that's some of the learnings that, that I, I, I plan to implement uh, as we look forward. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's affected everybody on a personal level, as well as what we're talking about more generally, an organizational um, level. You said better, stronger organization, better, stronger as human beings. What, 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 what do you mean by that? You know, COVID did not have any uh, bias to whom it affects, right? It, it can affect um, very wealthy, well-to-do folks as well as, as those in, in uh, tough situations and, and everyone in between. And I believe that um, up to now in my lifetime, any um, large disease has been in another place or another area, not us, right? And uh, when I think about my children, I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. I don't. I want to protect them. I want to protect my wife. I want to protect ourselves. And and so that's um, this is probably the first time in my life I've ever felt the need to do that in a very intentional way uh, because of the, of the range of this disease and and the effects of it to to the population. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose thinking about it it's it's also affected the human beings within duke because you know you're talking about your own personal experience and i think yeah i think the idea of the organization becoming better and stronger the the almost like the the values of the organization have been tested in 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 action in a way and found that they're really there and i've and i and i have heard that story um quite quite a bit in other organizations but each person's been um been changed and one of the things that i've heard about and i don't know whether this is flows into work is is just a more kind of sensitivity to the lives of people inside the organization their needs um some of the things that might have been considered a little bit peripheral you know, if you like the more emotional side of people's lives, the, you know, the stresses and tr- strains of children, elderly parents and so on. Um, but, it, you know, is that, is that something that you see as being part of the kind of, if you like, the culture of the organization in the future? You know, it, it's definitely widened the conversation of employee needs. And, and um, you know, I'll give you a real time issue, Paul. Uh, right now, we're contemplating what back to school looks like. And we have many, you know, parents that have young children that are going to be going back to school or remote learning in the fall. And how do we um, accommodate them so that they can be effective, uh, both as employees of Duke Energy and get the job done that we need done for our customers, as well as be effective parents. And, you know, when that when it was remote learning in the spring, there was definitely an end to it, right? They knew that, okay, we've got to muscle through it for a couple of months, then we'll be done for the summer. Every expectation, things will be normal in the fall. Well, things aren't normal. So now we're, we're kind of unpacking that and saying, okay, how, how do we make it where we can balance both work and life for um, 
these families and our teammates uh, so that we can you know, not put undue stress on people because I, I think they are feeling it in, in a huge way, right? Mm, yeah, no, I think that's that's so true. I mean, you know, I spend my time immersed in digital worlds, but I've, I've kind of found it's not a panacea for everything. Um, you know, it's got its limitations. You know, miss it. You do miss the the direct physical contact with with your colleagues and and so on. And um, I think a lot of people have decided, made you know, made decisions about the way they want to live um, and and kind of changes. Any any personal changes in your kind of own, if you like, work life routines and patterns that 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 have come to you during this these the last few months. <laughs> You know, that's a, that's an interesting one because um, I have been back to the office a few times uh, over, the, over the, the past few months, maybe, you know, 10. And it feels very comfortable to be back in the office. So, you know, 25 years doing it, it's that's a routine, getting in the car, taking the commute. You know, it's, it's, um, it feels very uh, – it feels right to me. That said, it was also nice to – to be able to spend more time with my kids and, and my family when I am working remotely, right? There's no commute. There's a, a, probably another uh, hour a day that's uh, uh, created out of thin air because you're not wasting it in the car. And so, you know, I see um, uh, it's, there's going to be some changes to my life uh, and I see it uh, even broader with uh, the teams I lead, right? I, I believe that, you know, there's some groups that really lend themselves to remote working, um, IT professionals come to mind because, you know, I joined the IT team about five years ago and the work ethic of IT professionals is just off the charts. I mean, they, they work 24 seven until the job is done. It's just, it's amazing. And when things break, it's get the coffee and stay up until it's fixed. Right. And so you know, the working remotely really wasn't a big shift for many IT teammates because a lot of deployments happen over the weekend anyway. Right. So they're working remote. And um, I, I believe continuing that flexibility will be valuable, not only for their well-being, um, but for the talent war that's real, right? I believe every company is going to be adopting pretty good levels of remote working. If you don't, I think you're going to get left behind in the talent war. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, that's a it's, a, it's a sort of significant change that happened pretty much overnight, um, and everybody thought, well, we'll go back to, to normal. And I know exactly what you mean. You get in your car, you drive to the office. It's sort of reassuringly familiar. Um, the, the, the trouble is that, you know, where people are doing it a little bit over here in the UK, um, they're finding that the office is pretty empty. So, um, uh, you know, the experience of being there is not quite what it, what it was. But um, um, just before we, we close, Brian, any any. Anything else that you particularly like to to add? You know, Paul, um, I, I do feel I want to reiterate the point that this experience uh, that every company is going through, um, uh, I can speak for Duke Energy. It's going to make us better. Um, you know, we're we're not going to come back uh, like we were in February. We're going to come back with a whole new uh, mindset on how work is done. And it's not, I have to be in the office to get work done. It's, it's how can I drive outcomes for my customers and collaborate with my teammates in the most effective way possible? 
And I think that's a, that's a powerful shift for a company that's over a hundred years old that has a lot of stayed processes and, and ways of doing things. Um, you know, I've been charged with new ways of working at Duke for the past four or five years, and we've adopted many of them. Um, and I think this will take it to uh, the next level of maturity, which I'm, I'm truly excited about. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, thank you so much, Brian, and thank you for, for sharing your own personal story, the story of your organization, your role in it. Um, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore score podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.